Hello there, and welcome to the Outside Film Podcast, where we talk film, TV, games, and all that jazz that there's no tomorrow. This week, we're talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. My name is Tom, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, John. How are you this week? Hey, it's me. Yeah, I cannot wait to talk about Lord of the Rings. I've been watching it all week. It's a spectacle. It's amazing. If you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, or if you haven't heard, like, the big trilogy in cinema history, you're missing out some quality content right there. <laughs> Absolutely. So, <clears throat> So, Lord of the Rings, briefly explain the plot for those who don't know. A young hobbit, Frodo, who has found the one ring that belongs to the Dark Lord Sauron, begins his journey with eight companions to Mount Doom, the only place where it can be destroyed. So yeah, spoilers, spoilers ahead if you haven't seen it. I don't know what you're doing if you haven't seen it. But yeah, what better trilogy to discuss for our two-year special? We've been doing the podcast for two years than what is probably the greatest trilogy of all time, Lord of the Rings. I mean, man, we did The Hobbit last week, and this week we're doing Lord of the Rings in preparation for The Rings of Power. And I have only good things to say about this trilogy. It is, to me, the gold standard. It is utter perfection. Yes, I cannot agree more. It is one of the best filmmaking achievements in cinema because Tolkien and Stanley Kubrick I read in the book there was supposed to be a Hobbit film or Lord of the Rings film with the Beatles and and Stanley Kubrick was like I have no idea how I'm gonna visionize the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy and he said it's like an impossible task but what Peter Jackson did he somehow made this into a masterpiece. Yeah, it's the gold standard. Last week, we we definitely criticised The Hobbit for the way that it expands so much upon the book. And it was so wide in scope when it didn't need to be. But this, I mean, what an achievement that this trilogy managed to condense all these three books into films and do it so well i mean like first of all i'm over here watching the extended editions where each film is between three and four hours long i think return of the kings is even above four hours and honestly like the pacing is spectacular there is not a dull moment and i spend every single bit completely enthralled in this world and yet you know when i read the books you see that they hit every single beat of course there are a couple of things they miss out Tom Bombadil, for example, famously, people wanted to see him, but they hit every single beat that is important for the story and characters while also changing things and shifting things around. And I think that it's really, really well done. Yes, exactly. With the pacing, as you said, you were enthralled by scenes that was just so amazing. There's one scene that really took my breath away was the scene with Aragorn and with yeah. Arwen. That scene in The Fellowship of the Ring where they meet together and they had this conversation and, oh, the writing, oh, the writing in the whole trilogy is so powerful and emotional as well. And Harold Shaw, how he, you know, composed all of this into you know something that's emotional and that's the one song the council of elwand that is the song that was so mesmerizing and that is the scene where aragon and arwen are talking and that might be one of my favorite bits in the whole film you know their relationship that was interesting thing you know like about arwen and how she's gonna you know survive if the world's gonna turn into shadow and how they're gonna have faith on men unlike the hobbit they really make the love story of the films they make it a central point for aragon's character and the way that he develops and what i love so much about it 
is they make everything seem so hopeless. They really, you know, drag. I think what's so effective, especially about Fellowship of the Ring, is you start off in the Shire and it's so quaint and it's so cute. And obviously, you know, there are there are the seeds of dark things going on, but it's all so lovely and you fall in love with all these characters. And then the films just drag them through the dirt so much and to the point where you know, at the end of Return of the King, it is one of the most cathartic endings. You know, when Frodo and Sam are sitting on the volcano and oh, Frodo can see the yeah. Shire once more. And Frodo says, I'm glad that you're with me, Samwise Gamgee, here at the end of all things. Like, I'm getting chills just repeating those lines. Oh, same, I think same, same. You're right. There are so many amazing lines, amazing quotes. And I think that's because all the characters are so memorable and they are brought to life so well. I mean, the cast, if you watch the appendices and you look at all the behind the scenes material, the cast love each other. They really just fell in love with each other and have such a great bond throughout this whole thing. And that's so evident, I feel. Yeah, the scene with Sam and Frodo on Mount Doom. And oh, let me tell you, man, Sam is like the MPV. He's the one that carried Frodo all the way. And he was like, kept Frodo sane from this whole thing. And he's been through a lot. Like, it's really interesting between Sam and Frodo, because you can see the conflict. And, you know, you feel sorry for each other because Frodo is connected with the ring. He cannot let go because the ring is the one that searches for desire or despair within men. He knows what Gollum has been through and he feels sorry. And then you as an audience, that's really conflicting. Yeah, the, uh, the theme of the trilogy is friendship, fellowship, and just oh, yes. like, you know, being together in times of crisis and, you know, like helping each other out. And I think no one is more evident of that than Sam. He always has spirit and he always kind of helps Frodo through. And I think every single film the emotional climax comes from Sam in Fellowship of the Ring when he just says, I made a promise and I don't mean to leave you. I don't mean to let you go through this on your own. I will help you. And then in, in, in Two Towers, when Frodo is completely defeated and Sam, you know, he has his brilliant speech about how there will be light in the darkness and we're holding on to that there's some good in the world and it's worth fighting for. And again, in Return of the King, at the end when Sam and Frodo are on the slopes of Mount Doom and Sam says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And it's just these amazing moments. And it comes down to this friendship that, as you say, you know, like there's so much conflict, but they managed to move through all this. And Sam is so supportive and he didn't even want to go, you know, like he wasn't even supposed to go. Gandalf just kind of thought on a whim, oh yeah, we'll bring him along. And I think that his courage and his heart and his loyalty, it goes so far in, in humanizing the hobbits. There are so many devastating moments, especially in Return of the King. As you say, when Frodo kind of says, go home because he's just been corrupted by Gollum and the ring. And, you know, Sam breaks down. But once he remembers that, you know, he genuinely believes that Gollum is going to betray him, he goes straight back and he saves Frodo from Shelob. He is the hero of the trilogy. Yeah. And he deserved everything in the ending. Like... Mm what a great ending to that character like the whole thing until the end we won't get into the end until later on one of the things that this film does so well especially when comparing it to the hobbit last week is the action scenes are incredible and they really really set the gold standard for like fantasy action it's top of the line and it's like really genuine it's like you know they're out for battle whereas you see in the hobbit a lot of cgi it gets really in the way, but oh, yes, 
the fighting with the prosthetics, it is mm. absolutely on point in this whole trilogy, especially, you know, in the fight scenes and you get to see the orcs and it is incredible. There's so much detail. Yeah, like, you know, speaking of the prosthetics, as a counterpoint to The Hobbit, the orcs are incredible. They're grimy and disgusting. And it's great just hearing them complain about stuff and basically start civil wars of each other. And they're not a faceless army. Every time you see an orc, they look different. You know, you see in Return of the Kingdom all chanting to Grond and they all look like completely different to each other. And there's so much going on beyond just like the main characters. And I, I really appreciate that. It makes the world feel real and tangible. Like, yeah, there are some moments when, you know, I, I notice CGI but honestly the miniature work the revolutionary effects like Gollum my god it still holds up so much today the sets the costumes the props everything it's so well put together and it showcases Middle Earth incredibly well it feels alive I agree the story itself, the whole theme, as you said, was about fellowship. It was about friends. It was about looking out for one another on this journey. And there's an, another theme, which is hope throughout this whole thing. And Gandalf always says, like, always have hope. Listen to your heart and then go out of this journey. And from the beginning with Gandalf arriving back in Hobbington, that was nostalgic with the flutes and everything yes. that looks so peaceful. And I love like the change in tone throughout this trilogy. It shows like different realms. It just shows different places. And it's so interesting how this world was designed. And with Hobbington, you feel like, oh, this is going to be an interesting film because it starts off peaceful and then it starts to go into despair. It goes into like the desire for power, you know, within men. The Shire is such an important thing because, you know, you've got you've to get the Shire right because if you don't get the Shire right, none of it works. You can't empathize with the characters, but man, did they get it so right. And it makes me so happy just even thinking about the Shire. It's so warm and cozy and the, the decision to leave the Shire is so difficult. You know, there's so many times when the Hobbits miss it and they want to go back and it's a driving force for like Merry and Pippin in Two Towers, for example. They need to attack Saruman, otherwise, otherwise they might not have a home to go back to the whole time they're fighting for this normal life. And what I love so, so much is like, okay, first of all, some people criticize how many endings Return of the King has. I disagree. I think that the ending should have gone on even longer, even. And what I love so much about it is they go back to the Shire and everything's okay. But for Frodo, he can't go back. He went through so much that how do you go on? How do you just be normal again? The ending of Return of the King really resonates with me. The idea of letting go of a friend and having to move on with your life. It's things that, you know, not everyone can do. And it's not easy, but you kind of have got to do it in life. For example, there's been many times that I've come back from holiday and <laughs> obviously going on holiday isn't the same as destroying the one ring, but I come back home and I kind of just feel a bit empty and I'm like, well, back to normal life, you know? You kind of yeah. got to take a bit of time to adjust and sometimes you can't adjust, you've got to just leave. And, you know, that ending where Sam is the one who gets that normal life, Sam, Mary and Pippin, and Frodo has to leave, like, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful and it's pretty emotional from that point from beginning to end and you get mm. to explore that friendship and the journey is about the journey not the end. Yeah. The journey ends the destination you feel like oh wow I did something but why do I feel empty? That's the whole shock of it and that's really interesting to learn from that in, in the end. The one thing that was really intrigued was you get to explore some bit of wizardry from Gandalf and there was really good detail from the idea of like age 
So like when Bilbo takes off the ring and he still looks a bit young, he's 111 years old. And then when Frodo meets him later, he's a lot older. Yeah. And you can see with the detail that the ring has completely consumed him and he's been using it for years. And then four years later after that, he is literally on the verge of death. And it shows how corrupted he was and, and how he is utterly consumed by the ring. And mm. the one depressing thing was when Bilbo just asked Frodo at the end, saying oh do you have that ring still and Frodo's like no I threw it in there and then he just goes oh pity I would like to hold it one last time the ring can be seen as a metaphor for so many things the way that it consumes lives and I think that Bilbo and Gollum for example are great depictions of how it can consume and corrupt and you know Gollum is such a tragic tale the whole opening of Return of the King with Gollum's origin story is just devastating the way that he was driven to kill a friend immediately and then from there he just became consumed and it's pretty horrific what you see with Gollum you know you, you see the way that he goes from being just like a regular dude a regular hobbit like person to genuinely like the creature that we see you know you see him eat like raw fish and the way that like his eyes grow bigger as he's just hell bent and just focused on the ring I think it's so good and, and Bilbo is an example of like of this kind of inability and, and unwillingness to let go and Gandalf has to literally force him to let go and and, and and that kind of comes to to Frodo. Like, there's just an absolutely gut-wrenching scene in Fellowship of the Ring where Bilbo gives the Mithril armor to Frodo, and he's like, oh, put it on. And when Frodo unbuttons his shirt, Bilbo notices the ring, and he goes for it, and to the point where he becomes like a golem-like creature, kind of being like, ah, like going for it. And once he realizes what he's done, he, he staggers back, and he's like, I'm so sorry that you have to go on this quest. I'm sorry you have to carry this burden. I'm sorry for everything. In the extended edition, there's a scene where Bilbo talks about, I don't know why I, I adopted you. You know, it wasn't out of selflessness. I am quite selfish, you know, in like the decisions that I make. And I think it goes to show a lot about the nature of what it can do to good people, not only adventure, but like the ring itself. And there are so many things that reflect on Tolkien's own experiences in World War One. There's a great, great scene in Return of the King where Pippin sings Edge of Night, amazing song where Faramir has to lead the Gondorian soldiers basically to their death. And you see Pippin singing... And you also see these orcs about to shoot all of the Gondorian soldiers as they run. And then you see Denethor, who is stuffing his face, you know, with blood coming out of his mouth as he chomps on his chicken and his tomatoes. And it's just, it, there's just so much there in the universe. And also, like, you know, when looking at Tolkien's actual experiences. Yeah, and it's really emotional how he puts that into the books and how he uses that experience into that. And pretty powerful with, like, with the song. And it creates this melancholy feeling and atmosphere as well. And it shows how, what war is like in different aspects as well. But it remains the same. Yeah, I, I do think that... For me, I think my favorite characters might be Boromir and Faramir. I think that the the temptation to the ring that they both feel is really, really interesting to explore. And one of the best parts about Fellowship is Boromir literally trying to like forcibly take the ring from Frodo. And his redemption at the end, I think, is 
so well done and so emotional when he runs and he saves Merry and Pippin. And in his final moment, he apologizes for everything. And he says to Aragorn, who he has always dismissed as king, he's always said, I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. And Aragorn says they will watch for his return at the White Tower, but he will never come. And the way that we then get to tie that back in, in Two Towers with Faramir, who also has this one chance to show his quality by taking the ring, but instead decides that his life will be forfeit, even if it means that he doesn't get to give the weapon that he desires. Yeah, and with the whole tragedy of what happened 2,000 years before with Isildur, who was completely corrupted by the ring, and the whole ancestry from Aragorn, he knows that the ring is quite powerful and, and he wants to change and redeem the idea of men that they can change and they won't be consumed by the ring and it's a great example from Boromir who sacrificed to save Merry and Pippin over the ring and shows that they could change and let me tell you that scene was really epic with you know like he's taken three arrows and he's still alive and that's crazy yes. that's that's like wow he doesn't care that he's got <laughs> shot in the arrow he's still going it yeah and I think with Aragorn you get a similar moment in Fellowship when he says to Frodo, where is the ring? And Frodo backs away and doesn't trust him. And you get that moment where you think maybe Aragorn's going to take it, but instead he closes Frodo's hand and he says, I would have gone with you to the very end, into the very fires of Mount Doom, but this quest is now yours. And it's just brilliant because Aragorn then has his own chance to come into his own. And the journey from Lone Ranger, you know, Strider to becoming the king and taking up who he was meant to be is amazing the scene in return of the king where elrond presents him with the sword and dural flame of the west forged from the shards of narsil brilliant with howard shaw's music just excellent scene and it all coming to aragorn's coronation at the end and his speech at the black gate Honestly, Lord of the Rings has some of the greatest moments in the history of cinema. And one of those is Aragorn's speech. I think that my favorite is probably the charge of the Rohirrim at Pelennor Fields when Theoden is talking to his men and he says, we're basically traveling to our death and this is going to be a sore day, a red day ere the sun rises, but we're going to fight. And, you know, he yells fourth Elingus and they yell death and they charge. And I think it's so beautifully done with the music and the way that it's composed and the way that the plot sets it all up. I think it's just a masterpiece. It is. It's like saying water is wet, but it is clearly a masterpiece. Absolutely. It is. It just builds up so much emotional stability and creates so much momentum and it just breaks expectations as well. And just like, wow, that's the power of filmmaking. You know, you get these characters all together. And yeah, I would love to see that in the cinema, you know, to see. Mm, Me too. That, yeah. And then the the scene where Aragorn just looks to everyone and says, for photo and charges. Ah, yeah. I'm getting amazing. Yeah, no, it's genuinely so good the way that they kind of, like, I think every character has an amazing arc. And another moment is, you know, Aragorn says for Frodo and he runs. And the first people who run after him are Merry and Pippin. They may be the smallest people in that army, but they have courage. And it's just incredible. Like, that. there's just so many incredible moments in that final film, especially. Like, in that same battle, you know, everyone's fighting and it's just this huge bombastic set piece. And there's just this moment where Gandalf just stands still as a butterfly comes close to him 
and you get the Eagles music and the Eagles swoop in and Pippin yells, the Eagles are coming. And it's just like such good setup. And the way that they pull in everything, you've got the Ents, you've got the Eagles, you've got Orcs, Men, Dwarfs, Elves, Hobbits, everything is just kind of building to this like epic conclusion. And it just doesn't disappoint. Each film has an amazing, amazing climax through action and emotion. Like the Battle of Helm's Deep is incredible. Oh, yes. The way that it builds and builds and it is so hopeless, which then turns into this last stand where they ride out and held Hammerhand and they look to the hill and Gandalf's there with Eomer and the other riders. And Gandalf says, Theoden King stands alone. And Eomer says, not alone. Rohirrim to the king. And they all charge down in this amazing slow motion scene with Howard Shaw again. Howard Shaw, his music is just unparalleled. It's so good. It is unbelievably its greatness. The score blends so well with the cinematography, the the mise en scène, that the everything about it, it just it is incredible. The scene where Frodo is lying on Mount Doom just before to get into it, and Sam yeah. is describing the Shire. He talks about the houses, the food, the taste of bread what it means to be happy and alive within the Shire and kind of, you know, redeems all hope because hope is the one recurring theme, as I said, and explores that within hobbits and wizards and men and dwarves and elves. And they're trying to regain hope in this world that is about to be consumed by shadow. And there's some amazing moments as well that reflect that as well. Yeah, and the sequences explore so much from, you know, fantasy and action. But also you've got like horror sequences as well, like the whole sequence in Shelob's lair where Frodo is a fly in a web. And, you know, Shelob is just this huge spider that's scuttling towards him. All these moments are so good at like, you know, building this tension and the feeling that genuinely, you know, anyone could go at any point. Like Fellowship of the Ring ends with the characters devastated. The Fellowship is splintered. Boromir and Gandalf are both dead. Merry and Pippin have been kidnapped. And there is so much that makes you feel like, yeah, it is a hopeless story and like so much could go wrong. But at the same time, they really do bring it back and remind you of all that hope. And it works just so so well and anyone can change the course of the future i think galadriel says even the smallest person can change the course of the future and even in eowyn's character who's living in a society that basically tells her that as a woman you can't fight and that you've got to help the other women and children like in the caves in 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 helm's deep and you know she can't be alongside everybody else who are fighting for their country and yet there is the brilliant brilliant moment where she rides the rohirrim in the battle of pelinor fields and she kills the witch king you know, saying, I am no man. And while Lord of the Rings definitely is like a male dominated franchise and doesn't have enough female representation in it, that moment I think is so empowering and amazing for this patriarchal society. I do wish, like, originally they had shot Arwen in Two Towers going to Helm's Deep. I wish they'd have kept that in, but I guess they didn't do that. But that would have been cool. Mm, I like that. Yeah, as you said, the arcs are just so well done and they actually show each everyone's arc and it didn't feel like everyone was like out of place or anyone that didn't feel really included. 
in the story because each and every one character was so important towards it in the story. And one of my favorite shots is in the Fellowship of the Ring where it's in Rivendell and they all get together and they said, ah, this is a fellowship and they get together and you can see everyone just like all nine of them. Nine and companions. Nine you shall companions. be the Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. And that was like one of the best shots in cinema. And yeah. then straight after all, oh, the comedy was balanced as well because mm. there's some happiest moments in Lord of the Rings and that shines the most because it's hopeless and there's some light within darkness as well in, in these films. And <laughs> straight after when the character says, you should be the Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> and then Pippin was like, all right, where are we going? But they yeah, had this like... massive discussion about like going to Mount Doom and just like, where are we going? <laughs> yeah, no, and <sighs> he's like, you need people of intelligence in this sort of mission, quest, thing and then mary just says well that rules you out pippin like it's not just comedy for the sake of comedy it's showing the kind of people the characters are and you know kind of expanding on them as people you know showing like their their like defense mechanisms and even mary and pippin have some really 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 hard-hitting scenes like when gandalf and pippin are next to each other during the siege of Minas Tirith, and pippin's scared about dying he's like i don't want to die and gandalf says oh you know death isn't the end and he, and he describes to him what it's like and pippin's like that doesn't sound too bad and Gandalf like no he's comforting him and I, I love that you know I'm not sure if this is in the theatrical cut but there is a scene after the I battle think of it, Pelennor. it was yeah Pippin finds Merry on the field and is like I found you I'm, I'm gonna take care of you and it really is like so good that they balance the, this comedy I think definitely two of the characters who have like a lot of comedy are Legolas and Gimli Legolas and Gimli don't get quite as much to do as the others but still Come on, Legless and Gimli are the best. Yeah, and you can see that chemistry between them. And there's like a really fun detail, you know, like they're trying to count how many orcs they killed. And they go, 16, yes. 90. And it's just like really fun. And just you get to see them bond in battle. Absolutely. Yeah. They have this arc of in the first film, they are mean to each other. And, you know, they look down on each other being elves and dwarves to the second film where they're kind of playfully making fun of each other and they have a bit of fun with it. And, you know, as you said last week, Legolas is just the coolest guy. And there's a scene that isn't in the theatrical cut, but really should be where at the end of the battle, Legolas comes up to Gimli and he's like, final count, 42. And Gimli's like, 42, that's not bad. I myself am sitting pretty good on 43. And then <laughs> Legolas shoots an Urukai and he's like, he was already dead. He was twitching. And then and then Gimli grabs his axe, his axe, which is in the head. And he goes, he was twitching because he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system. And it's just like so fun and great. And then you get to the final film where you got the same thing, like in the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Legolas takes down a Moomakill on his own, slides down the trunk. It's awesome. And at the end, Gimli, again, similar to Pippin, is scared. And he says, I never thought I'd die fighting side by side of an elf. And Legolas says, what about side by side of a friend? And Gimli oh. says, I, I could do that. And it's like, just amazing. Just little moments from these characters across three films. And it's such a beautiful and cathartic ending for both of their characters. They are the only elf and dwarf that we really get to explore throughout the films. And I think that it's done so well. And I'm pretty sure in the book, they end up like going on adventures, exploring elven and dwarf kingdoms after that, which oh. I think is just really cool. That's so cool. Like they're going on adventures. Oh, that's so cool. That would be a really cool spin-off, actually. Um, <laughs> the adventures of Legolas and Gimli. Oh yeah, moments like those just like keep on the spirit. 
fighting and it's literally on their shoulders you know with these hobbits and they're trying to save middle earth destroying this one wing you've got some amazing villains as well you know like saruman just being this puppet of sauron the whole time who is almost a metaphor for the industrial revolution and you know like eventually gets like his whole tower and all of isengard flooded and he's trapped inside now this is really annoying to me but saruman isn't in return of the king the theatrical cut but he has like a 10 minute sequence that they cut from the theatrical where he taunts Gandalf and Theoden and Aragorn and then Grima stabs him in the back and he falls off the tower and drops the Palantir. Like they just cut that completely and, and it's really annoying. I watched the theatrical cut. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you really missed out on like an amazing Saruman like ending. Because in the book, Saruman escapes and takes over the Shire. So when they return to the Shire... Oh, what? Yeah, it's called the Scourging of the Shire. And when they return to the Shire, it's completely been taken over and orcs are running it and everyone's enslaved. I'm glad they didn't do that because I think there is an importance of them going back to their normal lives. That's just... No... Okay, that's a bit too far. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, about... no, I'm, not, I'm not vibing with that. Talking, that's a bit too far, mate. You, you you, just had made him do like a battle and Frodo literally just got to Mount Doom and literally got his like fingers bitten off by goblins. Yes. Okay, I'm glad they didn't do that because that felt like a fitting ending. The ending in Mount Doom is amazing. It would be so anticlimactic for Frodo to just drop in the ring. So, you know, the fact that he succumbs to the darkness, he says, the ring is mine. And eventually it, it just comes to him and Gollum wrestling with each other over it. And Gollum's final things where he's jumping out and he's falling to, towards the lava, but he's so happy because he's got the ring back. And the final thing he does isn't try to save himself in the lava. He tries to save the ring. He puts his hand out as far as he can above the lava to let the ring, you know, like be free. And again, it shows how much Gollum was consumed by the ring and how much it just took over him. And I think, you know, like Andy Serkis's Gollum is amazing. Like what a role. Yeah, he can do everything, man. He he can direct, he can act in the CGI suit and he remained as Gollum. Like you can see that transition in Return of the King at the beginning where he gets consumed and corrupted by the ring and he completely comes out as innocent and then slowly turns from hopeful into despair. That is a really dark tale. As you said, the villain's really good. Like from Sauron to the guy who was kind of leader of Gondor for a bit. Oh yes, Denethor, of course. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. want to give up his throne. And yeah. like, it's really tragic seeing where like Faramir and Boromir come from. And again, another scene that I am just pissed off wasn't in the theatrical cut is where Faramir remembers his brother and you get this whole sequence with Boromir and Faramir together after a battle and you see that Denethor loves Boromir but, you know, like really like despises and only like puts down Faramir and they both kind of resent him for that. And, you know, again, I think it's I think it's really, really wonderful how they kind of like, you know, they show that there is like darkness in, you know, there is both dark and light in the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah, it's shown between like Sauron and Gandalf, you see different aims and how they want to keep Middle-earth as safe. And the one thing that was really interesting was when Pippin and Merry meeting Treebeard, they talk about like Sauron has no intentions towards nature anymore because he's completely consumed by uh, Saruman. 
no, Sauron. <laughs> Sauron, ah, Saruman. <laughs> he's completely in control by Sauron. And yeah, they literally say he has a mind of metal. Yes, a mind of metal. And he's completely controlling the orcs and, and as well, like industrializing Isengard as well. And that, you know, that kind of reflected that time for Tolkien as well. When writing the war, he saw the dangers of it, like how men use weapons and they built a lot of things to kill one another and it reflected that time as well and you know the world is like crumbling away yeah absolutely it all does reflect these world war one experiences of you know people rising up and like you know taking over other lands and like you know treading on innocence and while they don't give a whole lot of nuance to the orcs the orcs there isn't any really good in the, that they explore in the orcs there is a scene in the extended cut where faramir speaks about one of the Easterlings that he kills and he says, you know, you wonder what his name was, you know, his sense of duty was just the same as mine. And, you know, you really do get this sense of like, that like nothing is like all good or all bad. There is darkness and light within everyone. And I think that it's, it's really powerful the way that they explore that and the way that people like Denethor and Saruman just send their armies out and use people and just want to hide behind their power. And I feel like we all kind of need those figures like Gandalf to help and be that force for good. Like when Gandalf comes back, you know, like he comes back as Gandalf the White, this pure force for good, you know, that kind of rises up against all this evil. Even the ghost army has this opportunity to, to do a second chance and to kind of redeem themselves. And I think that, you know, so much of it is indicative of reality and things that have happened. The ending when Aragorn meets Arwen, that was emotional, man. Like, mm. you know, they meet together after like months or days. I think it's okay. literally years apart. Oh, wow. They thought she was going to die and she's not going to have enough time in this world. And when they come back together at the end, and that was really emotional. Like, it's a powerful love story, you know. It really shows that it's like a subtle love story that is simple but powerful. And you get to see that throughout the trilogy. And it's so mesmerizing as well with the soundtrack. And it shows, like, how hope is still within everyone. And then my favorite moment is when they meet everyone at the end and then Aragorn meets the hobbits and he goes, my friends, you bow to no one. And then everyone bows to them and they, they save everyone from being consumed from the shadow. And that was so, so powerful. That quote alone is the reason why Lord of the Rings is on a legendary status being this amazing film trilogy of all time. Yeah, exactly. Like, I find myself watching a lot of franchises and, you know, the, the good and the bad ones have one thing in common. The action ends and then the story ends about five minutes later. They barely spend any time developing what happened to all the characters. Sometimes they do that well, sometimes they don't. But what I love about Return of the King is after the ring is destroyed, we get a lot of time to flesh out what's happened there's still stories to tell. There's still more that they could have gone into, but they do really give us all like the essentials and they show what life has been like and they show what they were fighting for. This whole time they fight to have a life, to have light, you know, to have better days. And you get that. You get that in, in the return of Aragorn on the throne. You get that in The Hobbits returning to the Shire. Sam gets to get married. And the final scene, I think, is just so beautiful. It's just Sam walking back into his house, greeting his family and having his own life and his own adventure. And it's just, it really is beautiful with Annie Lennox's Into the West playing, just amazing. And 
I never watched one without watching the rest. It comes as a package deal. You can't watch any of the Lord of the Rings films on their own. You've got to do the whole trilogy. And when I finished Return of the King, I'm an emotional wreck. I just have so much emotion inside of me. And as I said earlier, there is so much that is indicative of real life. And I feel like that is stuff that you can really connect to. And I, that's why it is so emotional in the way that they build these characters and, you know, put them through so much torment. Yeah. And let's do what we did last week. Let's go over each film, then we'll give our score. So, Fellowship of the Ring, what are you can give it out of 10? 9 or 10. I mean, 10. I can't think of a single thing I dislike. I'm just going to go yeah, 10. I'm yeah. gonna, I did 10 for all three of them. Honestly, yeah, I just love them. I think they're perfect. And we don't give out many 10s on the podcast, but this definitely is a 10 for me. Which would you say oh. is your favorite? Oh, Return of the King, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, it changes for me every time, but I think this time it was Return of the King. What a film. Yeah. 11 what Oscars. Film. 11 it, Oscars that is 11 very Oscars, impressive that deserved that, if you've not seen it please do it is so mesmerizing it's one of the films that you guys watch it once in a while that's why I did I completely forgot everything about it and mm. once I got back into it I was like oh wow this yeah. is the reason why I fell in love with this whole trilogy there is no trilogy that comes close there are incredible trilogies out there. The Dark Knight trilogy, Toy Story trilogy, Back to the Future, Star Wars, Planet of the Apes. There are so many like amazing trilogies, but this, this is it. This is the gold standard. It's just utter perfection from beginning to end. And yeah, if you haven't watched it, as you just said, watch it. Try and watch the extended editions if you can, because they are just brilliant. And yeah, just, just amazing. Yeah, that is <laughs> everything. The end. The, the end but not the end of the podcast it may be the end of the second year but we are going to more exciting places in year three and i'm very very happy to announce that all 105 episodes of the podcast are available on spotify now so you can listen to them all on there you can download them and listen to them away from home so yeah check us out on spotify link is in the description below and obviously we'll be uploading new episodes both here on youtube and on spotify wherever you're listening weekly and yeah thank you everybody for listening if you liked it please give it a thumbs up check out our video on the hobbit as well if you want to see more middle earth content and we do have the rings of power video coming once that show is over in a few weeks and yeah thank you everyone for all your support and everyone who has liked and commented we really like to get involvement this whole second year of the podcast it's really been a great great time we've talked about some amazing films and tv shows and games and i feel like it has got better as well you know i've started editing the podcast and we took out our news segment and our weekly viewing and i feel like you know the podcasts are better than they have ever been and will continue to get better from here i agree and i thoroughly enjoyed all the stuff that we did in these past two years and i cannot wait to talk more and I can't wait for you listeners to enjoy some of the stuff from Spotify. You can walk around, hear us just chatting, just <laughs> everything. That's that the dream. That's the that's dream. The walk dream. around with us in your ear. That's what, that's what we all want. You send us an email as well of your questions about Lord of the Rings. Give, t- tell us what you think. Ask us anything about anything and we'll answer it on the pod. That's one thing that I would love to get more of, more emails. So if you're interested, please do do that. And you can follow us as well on Twitter and Instagram and Spotify as well. And it'd be great if you could leave us a, a nice review. Five stars would be very much appreciated. Next week, Pinocchio. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, we cannot wait to talk more in the future. So, yeah. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed hearing us talking about Lord of the Rings. Take what you're given. Give nothing back. Goodbye. Goodbye.